The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I'm Ken Smith, your host. Certified financial planner with a master's degree in financial analysis and CEO of Empirical Wealth Management. Today in the studio, I have Eric Lair, our director of research at Empirical. Good afternoon, Eric. Hey, Ken. Eric, what are your credentials or education again? Well, I have a master's degree in economics and another master's degree in computational finance and risk management. Well, that might come in handy. We need to know what's going on in the market today. Well, here to help. Okay, good. Well, thanks for joining us today, Eric. This show is designed to share with you prudent investing and financial planning ideas to help you make a lifetime of smarter financial decisions. This is a live broadcast. If you are interested in joining the show, you can call into the program at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. We'd love to hear from you if you have any comments, ideas, or if you'd just like to talk about a particular investment strategy that you are considering, we'd love to give you our best uh, advice with the time and the information we can we can have on the show. If you want to call us off the air and talk about your personal situation, we'd love to help you. And uh, you can do that at 1-800-923-4307, 1-800-923-4307. If you want to shoot an email to us to, during the program, you can do that at contact at EMPIRadio.com, contact at EMPIRadio.com. Well, today, Eric, I thought we could talk a little bit about uh, what's going on in the stock market and and uh, some advice or, or hopefully some, some calming uh, direction we can give to our listeners and also to our clients and, and uh, other business partners out there. The market was down about 353 points today, 2.3. Three four percent, and uh, I can see, you know if you scroll through the financial headlines, they like to talk about the market when it drops, plunging and diving and uh, tanking and all kinds sinking. Um, <clears throat> usually, there's pictures of disgruntled traders uh, on mm-hmm. Wall Street. I don't know if they're current pictures or if they just have an archive of these that they use and I, I just about that just because the it is an opportunity for the financial media to get more attention, get more hits uh, when the market does move significantly. It's not to downplay the the fact that the market has gone down. However, that can be an opportunity. And um, I thought Eric we could talk a little bit about that. I, uh, you know, is it, it, it should you be reacting to this this decline? 
and uh, as as far as I can tell here, Eric, there's not a significant amount of news that would lead me to believe I would need to change my investment strategy. Do you have anything to add in, in terms of what you're seeing in, in the, the headlines around the Federal Reserve Board or what's going on? No, well, like you pointed out, it was if you're watching the markets every day, it was a scary day. Uh, everything's down. Um, and the the justification for this in the financial media, they always have to have a reason for why everything did what it did, is that the uh, you know Ben Bernanke and the Fed came out and made a statement yesterday that they are going to continue with their the quantitative easing, their bond purchasing program, and that they think the economy is getting marginally better. So they see sometime in the future, maybe next year, where they can end this eighty-five. Uh, billion dollars a month of bond purchases they're making. And uh, I guess what a, a lot of market participants are thinking, why you're seeing this type of movement is that, well, the reason that we've had such great returns over the past few years is because of Fed policy. They've been pumping all this money into the, uh, into the markets, trying to generate demand. And as soon as they, they, turn, you know, they turn the spigot off, that uh, markets are going to crash. There's going to be no more demand. Um, and you, you see how they react to that, to even, even the possibility that at some point in the future, not now, I mean, they said at least until their next meeting in September, nothing is changing. Mm-hmm. But at some point down the road in the future, this, this may end, which I don't know that that should have been a surprise to anyone. I don't think they ever intended to have this. I mean, you hear the jokes about QE infinity, but it was never the policy to have this program go on forever. So it seems like a bit of an overreaction from our perspective, but that's what markets do. Gold, uh, Eric, dropped below $1,300 an ounce for the first time since September of 2010. Um, year to date, it looks like gold is down about 23.63%. So that isn't... Uh, I wasn't the best best place to be if you were worried about the market declining uh, at this point. And so even asset classes that are sold as diversification or good diversifiers from traditional stocks, um, stock market portfolios, that doesn't work perfectly in every time period. And as I was um, driving around over the weekend, I was listening to one of the one of the AM channels here locally, and they have a, a gold program on. And uh, it was interesting because I have listened to that from time to time all throughout the crisis. <clears throat> and the gold guys were coming out in droves. And these guys particularly are selling hard um, physical gold coins, gold right. assets. So the premise of, of the show is very interesting. The advice was he not, it's not enough that you should be buying gold, whether it goes up or down or sideways. Their advice is the same every single program. Now that gold's gone down, their pitch was it's an enormously great opportunity to get in gold if you missed the opportunity previously uh, because of this pullback. But um, but the right way to do it is not through ETFs, exchange-traded funds, or other liquid ways of accessing the, the <clears throat> returns of gold, but through gold, physical gold only, which conveniently that's all they they're selling. And, right. uh, it just kind of cracks me up. And the point of all of that, I think, Eric, is, and the advice that I give our clients every day 
is that markets will be very volatile. And sometimes there are reasons that we can connect to the volatility on a day-to-day basis that make sense. Other times, there's no real news. And there's been several looks at this going back throughout history and trying to, after the fact, attach a good explanation to a major market move. And I believe Jeremy Siegel wrote a book, Stocks for the Long Run, where he outlined some of this. And there's been several other good authors and academics that have looked at this. And what they find is a good proportion of the time, there is there is not a good explanation for some of the significant moves in the market. Uh, and think about who is, in a, on a day-to-day basis, who's buying and selling. It's usually not long-term investors. I know that we're not moving in and out of the markets day-to-day based solely on speculation around uh, day-to-day market news. Um, so, you know, there are traders, there are institutions trading a lot of money, there are hedge funds or something. For the most part, they're they're engaged in, in speculation. Um, they're trying to make short-term profits off of short-term market swings. In my professional career and everything I've studied and been able to determine about investing, that is not a way to invest for someone who's serious about ob- obtaining their financial objectives, particularly people who have money in, inside of retirement accounts um, that are investing for long, the long term. A much better approach, again, is to de- devise a broadly diversified portfolio of a variety of investment asset classes in which you understand the role for each of those investment asset classes that become core investments. Um, and you're typically slow to rotate in and out of those investment categories. And we'll talk about a few other articles about some of the popular investments that spring up through every market turn. <clears throat> right now, it's it's uh, a variety of high, higher yielding products we've talked about over the Mm-hmm. Last few years, actually, on the show, that, um, that everyone's trying to solve this solution that, hey, interest rates have been low. How do investors starving for yield increase their rate? And in reality, there's only a few ways of doing that. And usually they involve taking on additional risk. So it's important to understand, I guess, what I'm saying, Eric, is that you have the right investment asset classes that you don't simply introduce new investment classes because they purport to solve some short-term issue and and overlook the potential risks involved in pursuing that strategy. So if I was just to pour money into high-yield bonds at a time where they're um, because they yield slightly higher than a treasury rate at one point in time, that may not be the best idea unless I really understand the risk and I understand what what I'm why I'm doing that, and do I need to do that? But you've got the, these core this core group of investment asset classes, and then you 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 rebalance it and you change and adjust that allocation dynamically as your life evolves. Um, and occasionally there are some market extremes in terms of how the market gets valued in certain asset classes that would warrant prudent uh, review of those in, of those investment classes, but it's certainly not what I see most most of the, the media purporting out there, the financial media or the CNBC crowd. Right. Uh, some of the money managers that are out there constantly putting pop-up ads. Should you be in cash now? What should your next move be for this market cycle? 
all of that kind of stuff. Um, very little evidence that that you will ha- you will have a better investment experience by pursuing those strategies. In fact, the evidence has been pretty overwhelming to the contrary. That if you do get sucked into those headlines, and, and I think it was just a week or two weeks ago on the show, Eric, you, I was talking to Ethan, and I had two articles that appeared in, I think it was the Wall Street Journal, within a week of each other. One saying to buy uh, or to uh, pursue uh, low volatility stocks, mm-hmm. and one saying not to do it. In, in both in the same publication within a week. Investing that way, it's kind of like yo-yo investing. You're going, you're, you're in, you're out. You're, you really have to understand that. Does that strategy fit in to my portfolio? And is there a value add in it? Is it reducing risk in my portfolio, or is it increasing expected return? And not just in isolation, but again in the context of my my total portfolio. So my my advice to you is do not panic because the market declines. And there's a great article here uh, from Jason Zweig, who's one of my favorite authors that's in um, out in the financial media. I think a, a good portion of what he writes is very sound and prudent. It's not hype and, and uh, it, it's, it's most of what I've seen from him. And he's got a great book, by the way, that I read several years ago. I just probably written, he's written a few but it was on investor psychology. I think it's called uh, Your Money in Your Mind. Um, I'll get that over the break, the exact definition. I'd highly recommend you read it because it's extremely helpful to understand how we think when, when it comes to making decisions around uh, complicated statistical and financial decisions. But uh, this this article is t- was titled The Intelligent Investor, Why... Why the market's latest stumbles are good news, and he talked about um, the fact that uh, if you're an investor on, and you're not on the verge of retirement, your fondest wish should be for another whiff of fear that will tip even more assets into the bargain bin. On May 22nd, Federal Reserve Chairman Ben Bernanke hinted that the Fed could reduce or taper the bond buying program that has nudged markets to record highs. That seems to be substantiated in the discussion right last couple of days. Uh, the ensuing global sell-off in stocks and bonds has left some assets like high-yield bonds still expensive. Some inflation-protected bonds is an example. They're, they've declined quite a bit here recently. Mildly attractive, and some, like international stocks, looking like a steal. We're also encouraged by the 20 people to focus on the short term. It's too easy to panic when what we thought was attractive gets 10% cheaper, says Rob Arnott chairman of research affiliates an investment firm in newport beach california that advises 150 billion dollars of assets investors should welcome the falling prices that make asset assets cheaper instead the market markets resemble an immense school of fish shifting from a feeding frenzy to a reversal in a single silvery flash i like that analogy very eloquent Lately, with so many people trading under the influence of cheap money, the customary buy-high-sell-low behavior of the crowd has bordered on the absurd. And uh, I'll keep going. We'll probably have to take a break in a moment. But in the 20 weeks between January 1 and May 22nd, nearly $3.4 billion of new money gushed into funds specializing in high-yield bonds, even as the yields on those bonds hit record lows. And... As their prices thus went to record highs, 
Then the tapering fears struck between May 23rd, this past Wednesday, a mere 15 trading days. People yanked out $7.8 billion, including nearly $1.5 billion on June 7th, the largest one-day outflow ever, according to the EPFR Global, an investment research firm. Wow. That's a lot of money coming out. Uh, investors who... Investors who wouldn't normally have been in high yield at all went into it in the recent months because yields were so abysmally low everywhere else, says Martin Fridson, a veteran high yield analyst. It seems they were all thinking, as long as I'm the first one out, it'll be okay. But uh, nobody can, not everybody can get out first. We're going to have to take a quick break. I'd like to pick up on what we're talking about here about the market today with the substantial decline and and what you should do. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio. Sitting here with uh, Eric Lair, our Director of Research at Empirical Wealth Management. And uh, we were talking about today that Dow is down 353 points, about 2.34%, uh, S&P down about 2.5%. And actually, the uh, some of the... the the uh, foreign markets were down pretty substantial today as well. Um, the EFA down about 3.8%. And uh, emerging markets down around 4.6%. So pretty big declines there. All across the board. And our advice, as usual, is to not react uh, in haste to the daily news, of which have, in many cases don't even make sense. Uh, doesn't doesn't make sense to what's what will happen in the long run. And I was reading through an article <clears throat> that I thought was kind of relevant uh, about in how by Jason Zweig uh, talking about well these downturns can be a nice opportunity for those who aren't pulling out of the market, particularly if you're adding in to the market. 
and um, we were at a component part of the the article, Eric, where he's talking about investor behavior and how we have this tendency, at least tracking the individual investor behavior, uh, putting money in and out of various investment asset classes uh, in a very fickle manner. And we were talking about money pouring into high yield bonds um, and then pouring out in a record flow. Um, this, you know, you know, in a single day the other day, money coming coming out, and so it says investors who wouldn't have normally been in high yield at all went into it because the yields were so abysmally low. So we, we were talking about that, um, and people, I guess, think that as long as they're the first ones out, it'll be okay. But not everybody can get out first. High yield bonds are certainly not a bargain yet, warns Mr. Fridson, who estimates that yields have to rise another half a percent to hit fair value. The same behavior has flooded through funds that invest in emerging market stocks. $16.2 billion in over 20 weeks and $7.8 billion out in, in uh, 15 days. Emerging market debt, um, $3.8 billion in and $999 million out in Japanese stocks among other categories. As I visit clients worldwide, almost every single investor tells me the same thing, says Brian Singer, manager of uh, William Blair Macro Allocation Fund. Um, The only place they're seeing an opportunity is in the United States. He adds, if it's the global consensus, you can be pretty sure it's priced in, meaning that the wise investor should shop beyond U.S. stocks. Mr. Singer thinks stocks in Europe and emerging markets have gotten much more attention in the recent sell-off. He projects future returns of up to 14.5% annually over the next eight years on European stocks and 20% in the Italian and Spanish markets and 11% on emerging markets. U.S. stocks are at a price-to-book ratio or market value relative to corporate net worth of 2 to 2.3 or 10% higher than they were at year-end. Um, The same ratio on emerging market stocks has fallen below 1.5, making them more than one-third cheaper than United States stocks. Over the same period, dividend yield in the U.S. has dropped to less than 2.1 from 2.2%, even as the yield on emerging markets has risen to 2.9% from 2.7%. And kind of goes on, Treasury Inflation Protected, or TIPS, uh, Treasury Securities, had been wildly uninteresting for a year and a half, said Mr. Arnott of the U.S. of uh, Research Affiliates. But they've dropped so fast in, in past weeks, especially those with the longest maturities, that they've become interesting again. So on that note, Eric, that if my data here from Lynn is correct, and I hope it is, um, we've got a positive yield here on the 10-year inflation-protected treasury, the tip of 046 um, which puts the break-even on the inflation rate relative to the the, the regular treasury, which is yielding a which yields bumped up quite a bit on the ten-year treasury. Um, we're at two point three nine percent right now on the ten-year nominal treasury. It was one point six six percent a year ago, at this time, and um, last week it was two point one five. So it's a pretty good bump, Eric. But the spread on that now, if, if you're looking at the, the uh, difference between the, uh, the tip 
and the regular treasury. It's, we need inflation of of uh, 1.93 to break even on the on the tip. So if you think we're going to have inflation over the next 10 years, that would equate to 1.93 or more. Uh, the tips are a pretty good deal. Yeah, that's and that's one of the uh, the arguments you hear getting back to the the gold thing is that. Well, the U.S. is going to have hyperinflation. We have to we have to get into gold. Well, um, market tends to be pretty efficient in pricing inflation out, and it's predicting a little less than two percent for the next ten years. I know that they just came out with the latest uh, inflation numbers, and it was little, just barely over one percent, which is uh, pretty much an all-time low since they've been recording it. Mm-hmm. So, hardly been seeing that hyperinflation that would you know. People aren't going to take your paper money anymore. They're only going to accept gold coins. Uh, I haven't seen that yet. Okay. So he goes on, says, um, right on cue, investors pulled $1.5 billion from tips in the past 15 days. Uh, so basically what he's saying is just as they're becoming interesting, you know, and we've had in various bond models exposure, constant exposure to tips, and there are certain core asset classes, Eric, that I think you might adjust your weightings to if things get extreme, extremely cheap or extremely expensive, but you would maintain some core exposure to. And uh, in a lot of our bond portfolios, we, we keep exposure into the tips. But we're monitoring the, the relationship, and certainly if it is, as it becomes more and more attractive, uh, we'd want to be rebalancing. Uh, and, and, and part of the, this idea that one of the ways that you could counter the poor investor behavior uh, that we see in the mutual fund cash flows, where investors tend to pour money into asset classes after they've become expensive uh, and pull money out of asset classes as they're becoming cheap. And we see that it turns market turns money pouring into equities at all-time highs, uh, money coming out of equities at all-time low points. Um, or at least re- recently historically low uh, points at market turns before they market bottoms would be a better word of saying way of phrasing that. Um, <clears throat> that's not a that's not a great strategy. Um, buying buy high and sell low. It, it it doesn't help over the long run. But a systematic way of avoiding that that bad behavior is to rebalance your portfolio systematically based on on ranges around the, the investment asset classes. So if it's within your bond portfolio and one particular area of the bonds, the price declines relative to the others, it will, it will, it will fall in value relative to the other positions. And you would be selling some of those other positions and buying that depressed, that depressed asset class. Same thing on the equity side. What what that would cause you to do, and it's not perfectly doesn't mean you're buying things at the very low point. Right. It just means at the very least you're avoiding the behavior of, of selling the, the the investment asset that's gotten cheap after it's gone down to buy one that's expensive, because by nature of of a disciplined rebalancing system, you're selling investments that have gone up at a faster rate than the than other investments to buy. The, the poor performing investments, and coincidentally, that tends to be those poor performing investments tend to be less expensive. 
that that is one way that a good advisor can bring discipline uh, to an investment strategy. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting um, that uh, the way this tends to work, right, is that a lot of the asset classes that have done well recently, that have outperformed recently, are less likely to outperform in the future, and vice versa. So, the the rebalancing strategy automatically will tend to sell the outperforming assets to buy up the underperforming assets. But that's not the strategy you see a lot of individual investors take. I know uh, a couple of guys at, I think it's UC San Diego, Terrence O'Dean and Brad Barber, have done a lot of studies on, um, on individual investor behavior. And they've got a lot of stuff in Journal of Finance, other peer-reviewed journals, where they document that the behavior of individual investors is to, in fact, chase things that have performed well recently and sell things that have dropped, which is the exact opposite of what you should be doing if you you have a long-term investing strategy. If all you're trying to do is maybe catch the tail end of some momentum, then you know maybe that's an okay way to do it, but uh, the numbers have shown that's really not a, a winning strategy. And um, if if this is your this is your investment, this is your life savings. Uh, it, that's really you don't really want to be chasing market movements. You want to have a strategy that that's based on evidence. It's going to to pay off in the long run. So it, it's it's it, it goes against our our instincts, right? If we see something's dropping, well, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we we should, we need to get out of this before it falls any farther. We see some uh, something's going up. We got to jump in, so we don't miss it. We've already missed part of it, but we don't want to miss the rest of it. And it just it turns out that that's not it's it's not sound it's not a sound investment strategy to follow over the long term. Certainly, if you could time these things correctly, there there's an enormous amount of wealth you could create by doing that, and and that's the that's the uh, the goal that a lot of the professional investors have out there and yet the the research shows us that very few investors can consistently do that mm-hmm. you know that very few investors can can make fortunes by perfectly timing these investment asset classes and we certainly see that the average individual out there um, who is led to believe that this is this is a, a viable approach to investing they're attempting to do it but their timing tends to be very poor. Right. Um, well, and I, I think uh, it's, again, circling back to, back to the gold, right? Well, gold's at, at uh, 1800 It's a great buying opportunity because it's going to 5000 Well, gold drops to 1250 or wherever it's at today. Oh, it's a great buying opportunity because it's much lower than it was, uh, you know, three, four months ago. When, when you get advice like this, I guess we're about to take a break, but we'll be back. Let's take a quick break. Hold that thought, Eric. Um, We'll be right back on Empirical Investing Radio. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at one 800 923 
800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio. Alongside your host, Ken Smith, I am very special guest host, Eric Lear. And uh, once again, if you want to contact us today, if this is a live show, you can call us at 866-472-5790. Simon's waiting by the phones. Or you can always send us an email at contact at empiradio.com. That's contact at empiradio.com. Well, she likes it. Anyway, getting back to where we were at the break, we were talking about, uh, well, what I was talking about was you, you, should, be, you should be aware of anybody who, who tells you that they, uh, they have a great market opportunity, they have a great timing strategy for you. Because uh, 90, 95% of the time, that person's trying to sell you something, right? Like, uh, at, at any point, it's a great opportunity to buy gold, is what a gold salesman will tell you, which is reasonable. That's how they make their living. If I'm a ice cream cone salesman, <laughs> it's, it's I the middle of a good ice cream cone. Salesman. I think I would too. In the middle of a blizzard, I'm still going to tell you it's a good time for an ice cream cone, <laughs> whether or not I believe that. But it's 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 my livelihood. So you really got to consider uh, someone's incentives when when uh, they're pitching an investment strategy to you. Uh, if if they're it's a good point. If their income is based on you uh, buying into that particular strategy, they they're probably going to say anything to get you to to buy it, right? That's that's correct. <laughs> so, so, so yeah, consider it, incentives. It, it, yeah, all consider where the advice is coming from and what the what the bigger picture agenda is. And uh, so, I with regard to the market. You know the market's going to be volatile. The market's always going to have historic days of volatility. The media likes to make that out as if the fact that it declines or or increases in a particular day, uh, and that hasn't hasn't had that sig- significant of a decline or a drop in a month or two months or a year. Mm-hmm. That that's some sort of special thing to note, and really it's insignificant. It doesn't matter. That the market hasn't dropped this much in a single, in, and their choice of words are always interesting. It's mm-hmm. points, uh, you know, instead of percentages. The market gets higher, larger 
point drops equate to the same percentage mm-hmm. as a smaller point drop when the market was lower. But they'll point out it's the greatest point loss in a particular day is that as if that's more significant. The big numbers are scary. Right. Um, and our advice on that is you know, quickly recognize that it's not necessarily that the media was trying to screw, screw you, I guess. Um, it's just that they they have one agenda. You just talked about incentives, and that incentive is to get you is to get people reading their materials, to get hits, to sell advertising, and so they'll use these moments of turmoil to their advantage to get interest and to get you hooked in. Now, ultimately, they may, that may cause you to make poor investment decisions. So, if you know that that's their motivation, then you would. Read that with a grain of salt. You wouldn't you wouldn't take immediate action based on an article you see, uh, and that's our advice. It's always been our advice. It was our advice ten years ago, twelve years ago, thirteen years ago before we went, and our portfolios have done quite well through both of the difficult market cycles that we've experienced. Clients have stayed ahead. Investors have stayed ahead of inflation. Grown their portfolios. It doesn't mean this is the greatest 13 years in history, um, but the market, you, you were, if you stayed disciplined and you, and you applied these in, prudent investment principles, you're on the right track. And failure in, in investing is not that you don't happen to invest at the time that the market does its historically best. Right. If, you're, if you're setting yourself up for that, um, you're, you're going to have a difficult time. Success is, is really participating in the market um, and not taking risks that you shouldn't be taking or that you can't afford to take or you don't have the time. Right? Success is doing everything you can uh, to properly align yourself with the market forces that exist. You know, failure is when you're when you're not doing that, regardless of what. So you can you can have a successful investment experience or strategy. Even when the market isn't turning in the greatest decade of returns ever, because you you did the right, you made the, the best possible decisions that you could make. You know, hindsight uh, is always twenty twenty, and and after the fact outcomes don't change what the prudent approach was prior to making the decision. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, I was reading an article the other day in the Wall Street Journal. I don't think we have it here with us, but. Uh, these guys did a study of the nine biggest market drops in the past, I want to say, 40, 50 years. And they said, well, what would happen if you bought in at the peak uh, of the market rise before the drop and then waited five years? And it turns out in every single circumstance, you would have made money. Even though you, you sat through those drops, just because you, you kept your investment strategy, you stayed in, you stayed invested, uh, you get rewarded. I mean, if you if you would have bought, like for example, if you would have bought in at the peak in two thousand eight, and you would have stayed invested all five years, you would have still made money. Okay, even even sitting through the biggest drop we've had in fifty years. So it, it really is key to to to, to design a, a prudent investment strategy and then stick with it. I mean, there's no point in having you can have the best investment strategy ever if you panic and change your strategy, you're not going to have a successful investing experience. So, Eric, I was reading um, another article that Leonard forwarded to me, and it was about um, 
infrastructure mutual funds that are attracting new assets. So here we're talking about Jason Zweig's article that investors are chasing money. They dumped money like crazy into high yields bonds, even though they were at historically low yields for high yield because people had dumped a lot of money into them and then suddenly pulled it out. Uh, now you have money going into these funds that are being called infrastructure funds. And so we've talked about all kinds of different funds on the show. Low, well, Stuff is coming out constantly um, to solve, in, in my opinion, a lot of times yesterday's problems. Right. Or what is a problem today that may not be a problem tomorrow. An example is rates have already begun to go up. If interest rates get back up to more historic averages. Uh, investors then wouldn't be starving for yield and they wouldn't need to risk losing a great deal of their money chasing these yields and very risky investment strategies simply because they believe in order to be successful they need to get a high yield now. Right. So I just thought we'd mention this in this context mm-hmm. of this discussion. Is these mutual funds that are that are targeting these infrastructure projects um, and, and here in the article they're they're pitching this saying mutual funds invest infrastructure projects could be an ideal way for investors to ride the tailwinds of an improving economy. Um, financial advisors say, well, you know what? Another great way of riding the tailwinds is to own a globally diversified portfolio of stocks all over the world. Well, that's not as exciting though. Mm. That's not the latest thing, right? Yeah, and and again, we've talked about this for months and probably years now that you're seeing a lot of the essentially yield-chasing behavior in the high-yield bonds, in the emerging market bonds, in uh, bank loan strategies, in these infrastructure funds, in uh, master limited partnerships. And it's not that any of these are, are good or bad investments on their own. I mean, we, we use some of these asset classes in our portfolios. It's just that if, if something like a high-yield bond, for example, the reason it has a higher yield than a, an investment-grade corporate bond is because it's a riskier asset. And by just piling into securities because they have a higher yield, I think that a lot of investors are losing sight of the bigger picture. There's a reason these things pay you more. It's because they're riskier. So, you know, you, you have to understand what you're getting into with these assets. You, you can't buy a, a high-yield bond and expect it to behave like a treasury because it's a very different thing. Um, and, I, and that's people. People have been losing sight of that just in the, the sort of the chase for yield, right? And it's important to know that not all investment classes, just because they, in a short period of time, have had a higher return than say the general global stock market, uh, it doesn't mean that their expected future return should be higher. It, it's coincidental. Um, or incidental to the fact that there are all kinds of things that are going up and down at any one time. Any one stock in the market is is going to do better than the general stock market, right? It, that's very possible. Um, it doesn't mean that buying one stock is the great strategy or generates a higher expected return than buying a diversified portfolio of stocks. So you have to be very careful just because something has done well recently, and so these funds have, by the way, these infrastructure funds, doesn't mean that there's really a forward expected return that's greater than owning a, a diversified pool of, of stocks uh, from all different industry groups. So my concern is with, with these particular funds is that 
Um, and I'm just looking up one of the funds that they recommend. It's it's uh, 52% of it is in utilities and uh, 31% industrial and business services. And it, it you know it may not have the diversification that we would typically ex- want. Right. You'll hear an argument for a lot of this type of fund is that well you're going to like I think you said in the title you're going to ride the the tailwind of the recovering economy. Well. Uh, a, a broad portfolio of U.S. stocks is going to ride the tailwind of the recovering economy. These are all companies that operate in the U.S. So as the economy does better, these companies are all going to do better, and you're not going to have risks that might be specific to infrastructure. Right. That's, right. that's one of the reasons that we uh, never recommend a specific sector fund is because there's going to be risks uh, in uh, Involved with each particular sector, and uh, you know why? Why would you expose yourself to that type of risk when you can diversify it away by owning a a broad market portfolio? Right. There, there's, there is not a reason to believe that one particular industry group um, will do better than another. Thanks, Simon. Um, and if if everyone knows that that uh, infrastructure stocks that they list, you know, I'm just looking at some of the positions in the particular fund. Uh, it's no secret what they're doing, and and just like any uh, the market really should be priced in such a way that for a given amount of risk, um, the stock's forward return uh, will be will will be that of the relevant market that it's in, and and what gets adjusted then is the price you know if there if there is a uh, looks like we've got to take a quick break i think we're gonna take one last break here before we get through our last segment we'll be we'll pick up on this when we come back thank you for tuning in to empirical investing radio we'll be right back business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio. It's our last segment, Ken. So um, yeah. I think you had something new you wanted to talk about? Yeah, let me wrap up the point I was making about the, the way that securities should be priced. We, we know that from time to time, stocks, for example, that stocks can de-link from any f- reasonable fundamental valuation when they get extreme, extremely uh, optimistic Valuations where they're trading beyond um, any fundamental explanation, and that happens also sometimes when the markets get overly pessimistic. But if we, but the the problem with with that is it's hard to determine uh, in in markets how do you get an, an informational advantage over the next investor, and ten, the market tends to revert back and gravitate back towards some fair value, right, and. When we are in this fair value, if you're looking at one stock versus another, and you could apply this, we were talking about infrastructure funds that they're pitching as this kind of new hot asset class. There's nothing new about it. They're just buying utility stocks and other energy stocks. But they're ra- putting in a different wrapper, and, and we were saying they're charging you about 10 times the cost. It would it would cost you to just buy an index fund, which would have probably a higher expected return with less risk, by the way. So it's it's not a great deal from my perspective, but it's being pitched that way. And if you were to look at two stocks, because if, if this is such a great area to invest in, other people know it. It's out there. This information is out there. And, what, and all I'm saying is if you have, for a given amount of risk, if the market was expected to generate a 10% return for the next 10 years, let's say, uh, and I had one of these particular stocks, and we said, well, the earnings of that stock are going to grow much faster than the rest of the market. What would typically happen in equilibrium here would be that the price would get adjusted upward now so that the return of the stock you would get would have already occurred. And for the next 10 years, it's priced in a way where now the price appreciation of that stock would be 10% a year to equate the market rate of return. Right. I don't know that most people understand that relationship. That that in order for you to to think that you would do better in these types of stocks than the rest of the group, and again we're we're throwing out risk here. We're just saying that risk is all is being held equal in the in these two investments. Well, if if that were the case, people are not going to allow this investment to trade at a, a rate below. Uh, price below where the market is in such a way that for the next 10 years you'll get 15% a year and that's why we're buying it that price gets adjusted up very rapidly right now so that going forward the return is in equilibrium with the market so for someone who comes in after the price appreciation there's no additional opportunity there that's the whole idea of markets being efficient right is that it, you know, it's not that the markets don't react to to news one way or the other. It's just that it happens basically instantaneously. And so, unless you think for some reason you have more information than the market, you have the information first. Uh, then there's no reason to think you could 
you could jump ahead of the market, right? Right. And if you do have information that uh, that the rest of the market doesn't have, it's probably insider information. You shouldn't be trading on it. That's right. You can ask Martha Stewart about that. <laughs> I was watching her uh, last weekend. In my leisure time, she was making some nice Italian dishes on her cooking program, and I was kind of cracking up thinking, she's an inside trader. <laughs> <laughs> But I think hopefully she's learned her lesson mm-hmm. in that. Um, well, with the last few minutes here, Eric, uh, unless you want to talk more about Martha Stewart and the, the recipes, um, some good pasta. Oh, I do like she's pasta. how to make the sauces um, from scratch and everything. Mm. looked very, very exciting and tasty. But um, I'm not here to talk about pasta, Eric. I'm here to talk about how you can make smarter investment decisions. And the other issue that's continued to um, plague the mind of, of investors is this issue of bond markets. Um, I think, that, again, the, the media has pounded this out and, uh, into investors' head that there's a huge risk being invested in, in bonds. And uh, we've gotten a lot of questions about that. Right. And uh, should, we, should I even be in bonds? Should I be sitting in cash? Um, we don't have a lot of time to address this. So, again, if you want to call us, we, if you have questions about this, you can call us during the week and just call us here at the firm, 1-800-923-4307. You can email me directly, ksmith at empirical.net. Eric, is yours? E-L-E-H-R at empirical.net. And we'd be happy to follow up uh, and, and answer questions. But we'll, we'll do our best here in a few minutes, Eric, to, right. uh, to talk about uh why we are not worried, why we, are, we don't pull our accounts out of fixed income entirely and put it into cash right now. And one of the critical pieces of research that have been done on bonds uh, shows that on average, um, extending the maturities to longer term for the amount of it, it, additional return you've gotten. And one example for the last 50 years, Eric, if you bought 20-year government bonds, you got an average rate of return of around 7.59%. But if you bought five-year government bonds, you got 7.18%. So you got a slight compound annual return advantage, but the amount of volatility or the the standard deviation um, nearly doubled by buying the 20-year bonds. And the real risk right now if investors are worried, it's they're worried that interest rates for the next 10 years are going to start going up. They went up today, for example. Quite a bit today. Who knows how fast and how far they will go up. Mm-hmm. So if you had a, a bond, um, a 20-year bond, you know the duration on that bond, the, which is just a kind of a measure of average maturity, uh, is somewhere in the um, 12.6, 12.6 range, which means... For a 1% decline um, in interest rates, you'd, you'd have about a, a 12.6% decline in the value of that bond. Now, that's certainly something to be concerned about, particularly if you thought, I need to liquidate this portfolio next year and pay something for something. An example I like to use is, what if you had to have a heart transplant and you didn't have insurance and you, you needed this money to pay for that in order to get that heart transplant completed? Would you want to have the risk that that money's not there? <laughs> Thanks, Sam. <laughs> uh, 
No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't want to take that. You'd want to make sure that the investment that you had um, was going to be secure enough that you you had adequate funds coming due at the time. The risk you took was very very small. Um, but there are ways of mitigating that bond risk. Right. You want to talk about a, a few a few of those? Sure. Well, you had mentioned the duration, which, as you said, it's it's. It's a measure of, of how a bond's price is going to be affected by change in market interest rates. Uh, and one of the factors that determines the duration of a bond is the time to maturity. So as you shorten the time to maturity, you're going to shorten the duration, which in turn shortens the or lessens the reaction that that bond will have, the price of the bond will have uh, with respect to changes in interest rates. And... That's one of the uh, the strategies that we use in our our bond portfolios is to keep the duration pretty low. And the idea behind this is that you're you're really mitigating your your interest rate risk. So if interest rates do go up, which you know I assume they probably will at some point. We don't know when. No one knows when, uh, but they probably will go up at some point. Um, you're not going to see a whole lot of price movement, at least relative to to portfolios or to bonds with longer maturities and higher durations. Uh, and the uh, as you pointed out earlier, one of the reasons that we use this type of strategy is because you don't get adequately compensated for taking interest rate risk. Uh, you know, as you pointed out on the government bonds for. Uh, extending the maturity by 15 years on on these bonds, you get about half a percent, less than half a percent of compound yield extra a year, but you take almost twice as much risk. And that's that's not a good risk-adjusted return. And that time period does include, uh, that 50-year time period, uh, periods of increasing interest rates. Right. So the, the question now of, hey, well, well, rates are. We know rates are going up now. We're not have a risk of them going down to below zero. Um, that that measurement in, is really addressing that issue. That yeah, we've had increasing interest rates, and so we're, we're going to have to wrap it up, Eric. But I'm just jumping in here. There are other strategies you can use, like laddering the portfolio across maturities, um, and we can do that with individual bonds. We can do that with with ETFs that have targeted maturities. Um, but the key thing I think you're saying is one of the biggest issues is keeping the maturities shorter. That's protecting you. Remembering why you have bonds in the first place to protect against significant equity declines in a lot of cases, or you're 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 using those to generate a specific amount of income. Right. Or I think that's about it for today. We can uh, take tackle this and many other topics in future shows, Eric. Thanks for joining me today, and uh, have a great week. We'll see you next week on Empirical Investing Radio. We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week. Oh, 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 oh,